Hello and welcome to the Van Foodster Podcast. I am your host, Richard Wallach, covering the food scene in and around the Vancouver area, across Canada and beyond. This is episode 101 of the Van Foodster podcast. In this week's episode, I feature a recently opened Feast and Fallow Cafe in the Oak Ridge neighborhood. I feature the Vegan Chinese Kitchen Cookbook by Hannah Chi, published by Rap Appetite by Random House. I talk about the Planted Love food truck that opened this summer. I feature Mount Pleasant Vintage and Provisions that recently opened in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood. I feature Impostry Trattoria that opened this summer in the South Granville neighborhood. I do a spotlight on Seattle featuring the new Astra Hotel in South Lake Union, Altitude's Rooftop Bar, Odium Greens and Grill, Cafe Ladro. Also talk about Bourbon Steak, Cook Weaver, and Ben Paris. Lastly, I feature my interview with Sebastian Cortez at his Sebastian's Fine Meats in downtown Vancouver. And we talk Thanksgiving turkey as well as cuts of meat. Follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Van Foodster, as well as visit VancouverFoodster.com for everything food in Vancouver and beyond. And let's get on with this week's episode. Feast and Fellow Cafe is a brand new cafe that has opened up at uh, 305 West 41st Avenue in Vancouver. It's part of the Oak Ridge neighborhood. It's a few blocks away from the new Oak Ridge Park uh, development. It's quite the development that's got like uh, 12 towers coming in and that will open in a couple of years. But for now, Feast and Fellow Cafe enters an area that is really underserved by cafes there's only like one starbucks and that was it so it's great to see a newcomer um open up uh they are located in a church so the little tricky thing here is there is no sign so you got to know where it is or when you go by during their opening hours during the weekdays um you'll see a sandwich board there's their sign but when the sandwich board is gone and when they're closed there is no sign so and that i think is because it is a church and they are actually renting space from the church on the main floor but anyway when they are open and they are open tuesday to saturday head on over there in the daytime and uh, check it out i think they've done a great job uh the coffee is done by a company called general strike and i actually have never heard of general strike until i had coffee at the cafe last week uh so general strike is born out of the uh pandemic and it is a from what i understand it's a drummer he's a musician and he was sort of had time off during the pandemic and uh, got into coffee roasting and uh, out of an old school bus or out of a, maybe not a school bus, out of a, of a bus in East Vancouver. And I guess word caught on that this is really good coffee and people were dropping by and, and having coffee on his from his bus, that kind of thing. And then uh, some people that knew of him and that wanted to, we were opening up cafes, wanted to feature his coffee. And that's what's happened here. So Feast and Fellow is I believe they're one of a few cafes in Vancouver that is uh, has the General Strike coffee on their bar. I uh, definitely wanted to check out. It tasted really, really good. So I only had one thing when I was there. I just had a Cortado, and that's my sort of go-to drink. And it was really, really good with this General Strike coffee. So um, right away, I was like, wow, this is impressive. So something to check out. So when you're going over there for coffee, they also have Rooftop, but I don't think Rooftop was on the bar that day. 
Uh, they also have food. They, they're baking their own bread. I have tried. Um, I tried a loaf of the charcoal um, black sesame seeds of bread. I tried a slice of that um, on a not actually there at my uh, friend's place, and um, they have other bread. So that's they're baking. I believe on Friday, Saturday. I think he's doing the uh, charcoal seeded bread, and then the rest of the week they're doing another kind of bread. So Steve is in there in the kitchen. He is the one. That, he is the baker. He's making up all the bread. I believe they're also doing some cookies too. They also have um, baked goods from uh, To Die For Bakery and uh, croissants are coming in from another vendor as well. So uh, they have definitely have food. They've got lunch available now, different different types of toast on their own, of course, on their own uh, bread. So you definitely want to check it out. You find them on Instagram at uh, Feast and Fallow Cafe. Then a, I recently talked about a, well, I was cooking from a cookbook, a brand new cookbook called The Vegan Chinese Kitchen by Hannah Chi. She's actually out of, uh, based out of Portland, Oregon. Just released by Appetite by Random House. What a great book this is. I was very, very impressed. Um, I've actually never, you know, never really made Chinese food before because I always just find that it's kind of hard making Chinese food. Like you, to make it like the restaurants do, I, I don't know. I never really wanted to sort of try my my hand with that. But um, it was great doing that for the vegan Chinese kitchen. So um, I got a lot of the ingredients for uh, some South China Seas at Gravel Island. Um, they also sent me some ingredients, some special ingredients from for uh, the cookbook launch. So I used the five spice powder um, in uh, one of the recipes there, and uh, I just sort of like took, I chose some recipes out of the book and thought like I'm gonna make them, and I made them, and you know they're on my Instagram, and everyone's like, wow, that looks really impressive. It really was good. I mean, this just just tasted great. So I guess you know, you make your own. It's very different than and having it in the restaurant, but. I think this book is very well laid out, especially for someone who is vegan or even for people that are not vegan and then want to try some vegan sort of plant-based recipes uh, that are, are not full of pork or not full of beef, that kind of thing. So uh, she's done a really good job. There's uh, some great chapters about about all the different ingredients and, and everything. So it's good It's good reading material for sure. And then, um, you know, you try your hand at some different recipes. You never know. Like, your family's going to be like, wow, this is like, amazing. This is different. So I think just it's great seeing a book like this. It is now available in bookstores throughout the country. Amazon, uh, Indigo Books, across Canada, um, across the U.S. as well. So uh, definitely want to check that out. Uh, so look for It's called The Vegan Chinese Kitchen. So what I've actually um, made from the, the three dishes I made was the uh, a blanch spinach with sesame sauce. It's on page 38. I did a steamed eggplant with soy sauce and garlic on page 109. And I did, I kind of changed one of the recipes slightly. So it's uh, the sticky sesame tofu on page 154. I'll have this up on com this week. So if you want to see the pictures and... Uh, Take a look at the recipes and things like that. You can definitely do that. And um, if you're looking for spices, if you are in the Vancouver area and you're looking for spices uh, for any of these recipes, I suggest South China Seas, uh, Granville Island uh, store. They also have a, an online version as well. You can find a lot of these different ingredients that you may need for the dishes. Uh, Planted Love Food Truck. It's another vegan, actually, vegan offering here. Uh, just opened up in uh, late june and usually i'd be like the first one there but you know how things go sometimes sometimes you don't quite get the places you want to get to and my family discovered them first so 
Anyway, it is a um, it's it's a new food truck from Chef Alexander Maman. He actually had owned um, a restaurant in Israel many years ago, and then he came to Canada, came to Vancouver, and he was working at the Fairmont Pacific Rim as the executive banquet chef. And he worked there right up until the pandemic when he got laid off like everybody else in all these hotels. And, uh, you know, through connections, because this is how it always works, through a connection that landed him a uh, a job at a, uh, a synagogue. And he is doing was doing their their cater their um all their food basically, but you know he's a plant based chef, so he had to convert them from being a meat oriented uh, uh, place to plant based, and he has successfully done that. And while that was going on, he had plans for this Planted Love food truck, and of course the food truck was under sort of construction, a modification during the pandemic, and it took longer because. Of course, labor, you couldn't get labor, that kind of thing. So while he was working with them, his truck was being developed and painted and everything else. And he launched a little bit later than planned, but he launched and he's been very, very busy ever since. Um, most of the time, you'll find the food truck parked in front of Whole Foods on 8th and Camby because it's a really good a symbiotic relationship. It just it works so well for the store having uh, the truck out front, you get healthy food and people are going by and ordering some then people are going shopping at the store and coming back out and getting their food to go. So I think they've done a great job there. The food is absolutely delicious. So everything I tried so far is phenomenal. You have to have to go. Um, I had the Sabik Pita because I was curious to see, I mean, I've had falafel and all that stuff before, although it did have falafel here, but the Sabik Pita is an eggplant pita. So it's basically about, about the eggplant, but in this pita, you have all sorts of other ingredients. So first of all, they make their own pita. So that is also hard to find in Vancouver. Not, not many bakeries making pita bread. So they make it from scratch. They seam it on the truck. So I think this is what making it so fluffy um, it was very good. So I had it as a pita. You can also get this as a bowl with pita on the side if you wish. Uh, but having it with pita, they have tahini inside and hummus inside. You've got this deep fried eggplant. It's got cauliflower. I mean, the whole and pickles, the, the whole thing is very, very good. So if you're kind of like on the move, you don't have time to sit down for lunch, take it in the pita. But if you do have time to sit down for lunch, I suggest you get the bowl and then get the pita on the side and then you can eat leisurely. Uh, way through it so i also tried while i was there i tried their falafel which actually had a sneak peek of a couple weeks well it was a week before actually my family had some so i had tried theirs but having it fresh right off the truck right out of you know as it's made is wonderful it was really really good so i can you know finding falafel there's a lot of really good falafel around the city ofres makes great falafel for sure but when i was in toronto in may i discovered this amazing restaurant called Parallel Brothers. I mean, I wish I could keep going back. I only got there once because it was kind of in midway through my stay and I didn't have time. But I was like dreaming about their falafel. Their falafel were big balls, very, very different than when you find here on the West Coast. And it was just you crunch and you bite it. Oh, my God, it was amazing. This reminds me of that. This is very similar. So right when I, I, I had a bite of uh, the falafel here from Planted Love, I was like, Wow, I feel like I'm back in Toronto. Well, not exactly, but I feel like it's very, very similar to the falafel balls I had at Parallel Brothers. So um, kudos to them for making that. It's really, really good. And then um, their hummus is delicious. Their tahini is so smooth, really, really good. And the, and the baked pita. Now, um, they also do, so they do most of the, the items are available in the bowls and in the pita. 
And uh, I was told that um, people were coming by while I was there and they wanted this oyster sandwich. And uh, sorry, not, not oyster. Where did I get oyster from? They wanted these oyster mushroom sandwich. And, and everyone kept asking for it. And they were like, well, I'm sorry, we don't have it today. Uh, we'll have we'll have mushrooms later in the day, that kind of thing. So I understand there was actually a mushroom shortage in Vancouver last week. I've heard this from three restaurants already, um, including the food truck, that for some reason um, the suppliers didn't have these mushrooms last week, which seems odd that we're on the West Coast and you can't get mushrooms. This is like mushroom country, but but it, this is what happens sometimes. Sometimes suppliers don't have things, and and re, you know restaurants that go through a lot of mushrooms. Like we're out of mushrooms, what are we gonna do? So it was a temporary situation. I think it lasted just a few days, and then they have their mushrooms back. So I am looking forward to trying this mushroom sandwich that everybody in the city seems to be raving about. It's done on their challah bread, which is also homemade. I can't wait to try that, and I will try that soon. Uh, but in the meantime, you want to check out Planted Love Food Truck in front of Whole, Whole Foods. And, and then if you actually are not there and you want to have it at home. So here's like a, a something to know because a lot of people don't know this yet. So they are also de delivering through DoorDash. So if you are at home, they offer a family pack, which I guess feeds five people. And you get lots left over from what I want to understand as well because my family did this. Um, so uh, order through DoorDash at nighttime if you want to have a dinner, maybe around 6 o'clock order from DoorDash, and then they will deliver right to you. So you don't actually have to go down hunting for the truck or anything, but uh, you're going to have a fresh, hot meal um, at home, plant-based meal. So it's a great way of doing it. So uh, I believe the only day they are not open is Saturdays, and that as that makes sense for the Jewish religion. So, uh, But I think from Sunday onwards, is they're open. So uh, you definitely want to go and check them out. Another new spot, there's a lot of, first of all, there are a lot of new restaurants and food trucks opening up around the city right now. It's been ongoing sort of like as the pandemic is sort of winding down um, but even like during the pandemic there were lots of new places opening up and it just seems like right now there are so many amazing spots like I am adding to my list now you know and the list change everybody always asks me what's my favorite new restaurant but the thing is that it changes so my favorite new my favorite new restaurant of last year is not you know well it is some of them are still my favorite new restaurants now but there's it's a change for sure because it's like you can't go to 100 restaurants well I could, but um, but most people aren't going to 100 restaurants all the time. So, uh, but just like there's some great new places. So this is another great new place that has just opened up. It's called Mount Pleasant Vintage and Provisions. It's at 67 East 6th Avenue in that kind of like False Creek, Olympic Village, Mount Pleasant neighborhood. It's kind of a cross section there. They call it Mount Pleasant, but you know, it's a real mixture kind of area. But what a cool place this is. First of all, it's in, it was one of the old houses. There are a lot of old houses in that area. I know I used to have an office down in that neighborhood and I would see these houses in the middle of kind of like all these offices and office buildings. And I was just like, I don't get it. But, you know, these houses were there. So this is one house that was there built 120 years ago. So it's got heritage status. They were not able to knock it down. So they used the, this, this house into the design of the actual um, new building. So the house, I understand, was trucked away, and then they built this brand new building. And then when they were, of course, putting it all back together, they brought the house back. And the house is the, house is the entrance to this restaurant and bar. So it's called, um, as I just mentioned, Mount Pleasant Vintage and Provision. So it's basically a bar that has great food. So I want to say, like, it's not like you're just going to a bar, because it's more like, you're going to a bar eatery because, yes, it's all about the cocktail bar. bar. And the owner, Cam, um, he is a cocktail aficionado for sure. I mean, he worked for Earl's for 10 years um, in, in charge of their beverage program. Because I remember 
one of my cocktail challenges probably about maybe five or six years ago, something like that, Earl's was involved and it was his recipe. So, you know, he knows his drinks sort of really, really well. So he told me that, you know, I wanted to set up an amazing bar. So his bar has three different kinds of ice machines. So three different sizes of ice to go in cocktails. I mean, you know, this is very rare. You do not find too many bars around the city that invest so highly in ice machines, but that's what they've done here. So you don't be fooled by the outside and you go like, oh, this is this cute little uh, house that you're going to go into for a bar. Uh, 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 wait till you get inside. I mean, these guys have done a phenomenal job. Uh, Pacific Solutions uh, built it. Um, these guys, they also know their stuff. When I've talked about them before, I even featured the owner of uh, Pacific um, Solutions on my um, my podcast last year and my uh, Instagram live. So it was also it was always very interesting talking to the builders and the designers. But uh, in this case, they've done a great job. So when you walk into this like house, I guess, you could, you know, you see a hostess, you could actually sit in the house if you want. It's a very vintage kind of looking thing, kind of a fun idea. Or you just keep on going and then you walk into this huge room. You'll see the bar. It's really well set up. Then there's two patios. There's a patio out front, outside. There's a patio in the back. Now, you go like, okay, the weather in Vancouver right now is amazing. We have started off fall. I mean, this is like Indian summer and it's just going on and we've got beautiful weather every day. So, like, you want to go and hit the patio now. The front patio, you've got this beautiful mural of Mount Pleasant on, on the wall. It looks amazing. You can sit there. Or you can head out on the back and then you can, you know, enjoy some uh, drinks on the patio in the back. Uh, they told me they are in the process of enclosing the back patio for the wintertime. So um, in the next month or so, they're going to enclose that uh, patio so you can sit on the patio and be, you know, of course, not soaking wet and you'll be dry. So they've got great options there um, and it's already very busy. So I can see how it became very busy immediately once it opened because people are like, this is a great great spot in the neighborhood. Um, great cocktails. So like, this is the thing because Cam, of course, is involved. So when you start to see the cocktails, like, whoa, this looks so different. And you hear about the ingredients. It sounds so interesting. I tried one while I was there and I was just very, very curious. It was called the frozen Vietnamese coffee slushy. Now, the slushies are kind of a fun thing. Um, in my mojito challenge a couple months ago, Odd Society won that challenge with high tea beverages. And they had a, a green mojito dream slushy, and it was like so good. And ever since then, I'm like, I'm all about the slushy. So, but then you know the uh, Vietnamese coffee slushy, really interesting. So um, we talked about that with Cam, and they are using uh, coffee from DD Mao. Now DD Mao is a restaurant in Chinatown. It's a Vietnamese owned uh, restaurant. And they specialize in Vietnamese food. I never knew they had coffee. This is like news to me. I was like, they have coffee? Didn't know that before. So, but these guys knew that. So they really wanted to make a really good Vietnamese frozen coffee slushy. So they are using DD Mao um, coffee, the real condensed milk. It was just really, really good. And then, of course, the the cocktail is made with brandy and Kahlua, I believe he told me. So just, it just, you don't even really taste the alcohol. And then you have it, like, wow, this is really good, and you just keep drinking it. And I can see that if you keep drinking it, you might be a bit buzzed. But anyway, um, so I tried that. I also tried some of their food offerings. I was there for a party. It wasn't actually right off the menu. Their menu, so I didn't actually really try their food 
their dishes off their menu because I was there for a media opening party. But I definitely want to go back and try um, their items. Now, what's also interesting here is, first of all, the oven. So it's one of only a few the few special kinds of oven that they have in Western Canada. I believe they actually even all kind of, Elisa Steakhouse has one of these ovens. It's an open fire oven. So really interesting for chefs cooking over the open fire. You feed the oven by wood. So they are currently using maple wood and you're putting like logs of wood into this fire and it's basically like an oven but it's open like interesting how they got light a permit for this i mean they got it in, in a very very interesting way but they have a venting uh, system and i'm sure that costs a lot of money but they have a venting system that pulls up the the, the smoke outside of the building and it's and it's done in a very environmental sustainable way so you don't have smoke of course coming outside the building but you know they're feeding the the items by the the uh, oven by fire so the way they do this is every day there are different dishes on offer they don't have the same dishes every day so if you like love whatever they're cooking i think on tuesday's jerk jerk day or something jerk chicken jerk stuff so on tuesday you have jerk and then you know on wednesday it's something different on the weekend they're doing the spit fire i don't know it's like a whole whole not a whole animal but they had a whole spitfire meat thing going on they're gonna be doing beef ribs one day so every day is kind of different they have a couple so during the week there's like two different dishes or so or three different dishes on offer of these special dishes then they have these snacks of course and then on the weekend they have more so because i think the thing is the weekend it's busier so um so you just gotta like kind of go on their website look at the menu or go by pick up one of their menus and you'll see what they're on offer every day and then you know if there are certain days that you that's that fits you you just go in those days and then have some cocktails to match so i think this is gonna be a great spot to take your friends um by yourself i mean you could definitely for sure you'll do it by yourself but i think take your friends is the way to go or take a, your you know a plus one that kind of thing it's just you'll have a great time i think they've just really nailed it the service is spot on and you know saying finding servers in vancouver is difficult uh, but they had no problem doing that and because partly of this because he had so many friends working at earl's working with him that they believed in him and um, they all came to work for him so you've got these just great energetic staff and they've just done a really really good job so check out mount pleasant um vintage when you have a chance another new spot this is another one so i, I ate there for dinner the other night with my friend lee um, you know, they had opened up back in June as well. So this is an interesting project. It's called Impostry Chachoria and Negroni Bar. It comes to us from two very seasoned professionals in the industry. You've got uh, Chef Andre Durback and you have uh, Gord. And then they just, they've been in restaurants for years. They know, they know what they're doing. What I really like here is they've created something wonderful in Mount, sorry, wonderful in South Granville. South Granville, you know, it's an interesting spot because it had a really good restaurant called Fiore before. Italian was very small, but they were really good. And then the group that owned Fiore also owned South, um, sorry, also owned the Stable House um, uh, eatery. And then they had opened up a new place called Coquette in Arbutus. I have not actually not been to Coquette yet, but they had taken the chef from Fiore over to Coquette. And then sort of like the weirdest timing is right when Impostery opened, they shut down Fiore. So now basically Impostery becomes the only Italian restaurant in the neighborhood again. Uh, but uh, they've just done a wonderful job. And it's kind of one of those hidden gem sleepers because there was no media on this and no uh, media in there from what I can understand. And um I mean, I didn't go as media. I, you know, I just went to my friend just for dinner. And wow, we were both really, really impressed. So we tried a bunch of different items. And um, 
the uh, we had a panna cotta. So a panna cotta for a savory. So it's not like a dessert to start. It was a goat cheese panna cotta. It was really, really good. Uh, shared that up. And then we had um, the Pappardelle uh, Rabbit Ragu. Now, their Chef Marta Pan is creating all of their pastas, homemade pastas. And when I heard that, I was like, whoa. I remember Marta from a, from a, um, a different restaurant years ago. She's also a painter, too. But, you know, she's come back and done uh, doing their pastas. So that's really, really special. You have to check that out. And uh, we had this delicious ragu. It was very good. We also had their halibut cheek special on for that night. Also very, very tasty. And then uh, went into to have a couple of desserts. We tried uh, tried the butterscotch budino. And that was with salted caramel. It was really good. And Lee had the Zabaglioni, which actually I tasted that. And it tasted like a Black Forest cake. I don't know how they did that exactly, but it was very good. So the, the fun part of this whole night was, as much as the food was delicious, was that this this waiter starts to sing. So there's, you hear this ching-ching with the glasses and then... This waiter just starts to sing this beautiful melody. He had such a beautiful voice. And I was like, wow, I haven't seen this in Vancouver restaurant in a long time. I think the last time I saw a, you know, a restaurant where the server or, you know, somebody on staff would sing like that was uh, the old Francesco's in downtown Vancouver. And that's been a while. So here you've got this just a surprise. Like no one has a clue. And then just out of the, out of the blue, this guy just starts to sing and then wow, just wow, the whole all the whole all the diners were just like, oh my god, this is amazing. And then they go back to service, and the waiter, you know, the waiter comes by our table and like, whoa, totally wild. And then as we were sitting there later on in the evening, he does the same thing again. So it was just like such a cool. I mean, just it made for your amazing dining experience. So this is the place you definitely want to go check out. It turns out that the um, the server that's singing is actually a trained musician. And he had worked, um, he had worked, I believe, on cruise ships as, as a singer and and that kind of thing. So it's just like something special to have uh, when you're out dining, especially for some great Italian food in the South Granville neighborhood. So check them out there, 3121 Granville Street in uh, South Granville. And then um, the other spot, uh, so we talked about the, the other new ones in uh, South Granville, uh, sorry, South Granville as, as well as uh, the Mount Pleasant neighborhood. And then um, the other spot. So um, I want to talk about Seattle, and I'm just going to do that in momentarily. I was just in Seattle, and I'm going to talk to you about a whole bunch of new spots in Seattle to check out. I stayed at a brand new hotel called the Astra Hotel in South Lake Union. It's actually a Marriott-owned property. Um, it's one of it's a new concept for Marriott. I believe this is the second location in the United States. Uh, they have one in Houston, but they've done a beautiful job at this hotel. Uh, it's really designed for the so the business traveler. I want to say it's designed for the solo business traveler because um, if you're heading you're heading Seattle for some meetings, that kind of thing, they call it a, the transient hotel, uh, transient solo traveler because the rooms are fairly small. So I was by myself on this trip, and um, for me it was great, it was fine. But I, I looked and thought, you know, if you add one more person in this room, it's going to be a bit tight. I mean, of course, it's doable if you're, if you're going to Seattle for the weekend, that kind of thing. Definitely do it. But I really think it's designed for the solo traveler. Um, and you'll just you'll really enjoy the room. And they've got at least all it's very tech. So also ne kind of neat to see when you 
they didn't tell me this. We sort of discovered this on my own, but there's this little uh, kind of like button thing on the wall and they had a, a shear. So a shear is kind of like a see-through blind sort of idea. And that was down because I had an amazing view of the Space Needle. And But as the sun was setting, the sun would hit the room. So the shear blocks up the sunlight. But then I go thinking like, how does it get dark at night? I have no idea. So I was playing around with this button thing. And then there's this thing called blackout. And you press blackout. And then another kind of blind comes down behind the shear. And it just makes your room dark. So this is fascinating. And then in the morning when you want a sunlight, you just open up the block, you know, the blackout, you press that and go up and then you press shear and go up and you've got this open, you know, amazing view of the Space Needle in Seattle. So really cool. Um, that was cool there. Um, there's some other buttons also for air conditioning in the room. And then another neat, a neat feature is, so if you don't want housekeeping and you just want privacy, instead of putting up a, like a paper sign on the door that usually gets stolen anyway, they, you just press a button on the inside and it says, do not disturb. You just click that or you put up makeup room and that's how the housekeeper knows to come and make up your room. So that was, in, it's a smart move. I like really tech idea. There's also a doorbell on the outside of the door. So you can press the door, you know, if you want to come in. Um, so, but it, it, the light thing goes that it's like red light outside. That means that they're not, they're not to do not disturb. So I just thought that was a really cool feature as well. Um, so lots of little neat ideas. There's like a little mini fridge inside, which is actually, it's empty. So you can put whatever you want in. So if you are, you know, traveling and you want to, you get a sandwich from outside the hotel, you want to bring it in, you can put it in the fridge, you get some yogurt or whatever, that kind of thing. It, it's, it's really set up for that. So they are in the South Lake Union uh, neighborhood. They're surrounded by Amazon. It's like Amazon country. There are Amazon buildings all over the place, Google buildings. It, it's really, you know, it's the tech part of town. And that's, of course, why they've gone there. The one thing else that I struck me that was weird was that there's no parking garage in the hotel. But that, I believe, is because um, it's expensive real estate these days, especially downtown Seattle. And I guess also if you were to dig further down, it would cost them a lot of money. Uh, so they didn't do that. So they've dug they've dug down, but I guess not as far. So they use an outside parking garage. So if you the only way to park your car there is valet parking. So if you are coming with a car... Uh, the valley parking charge is 58 a night, so which is fairly high. Uh, but I mean, if you are coming with a car, you have no real choice. But it is uh, they do park it in a secure parking garage a couple blocks away, so it takes about 10 minutes or so to get your car out of the valet. And then if you're not, you know, if you're not not heading down there with a car, then you don't really have to worry about it. They have a streetcar stop out front, which is kind of fun. So you like you can take streetcar around downtown around South Lake Union, so that's going to be kind of fun. So um, just I think they've done a great job. Anyways, with this, um, with the hotel, now you've got some eateries, and I, I, I ate at all of them basically on this trip. So first off, they have a rooftop bar. It's called Altitudes. It's on the 16th floor. You cannot take the elevator. You cannot put your room key in and go to the 16th floor. You, the only way to get there is you go to the lobby area, and you have a reservation, and you make a reservation, and then they take you up, especially to the 16th floor. So this is really good, smart security. I mean, it makes sure that no one's coming off the street. The only way to eat there and drink there is if you had a reservation. So this is a smart move by Altitudes. It's open air. Um, it's a twofold. It's an inside and outside bar, um, but on the roof of the hotel, so 16th floor. Um, this is something you don't really find in Vancouver. Vancouver, you've got, of course, um, Global's rooftop um, black and blue thing, but that's more of a restaurant. You don't really have a bar in Vancouver in the rooftop, but in Seattle, there are six of them now, six outside bars on tops of buildings. So this has obviously been a hit. 
Um, and these guys have done a great job as well. So you've got some snacky bite kind of idea off the menu. And then they've got a whole range of cocktails. They've got a DJ spinning music inside. So this is also the trick because they are brand new and that, that an altitude had opened a week prior to my visit. There are no speakers yet outside. So when you're sitting outside, you couldn't hear the music. You don't hear it inside. But anyway, they said that that'll all be fixed soon. In the next couple of months, you will you'll have speakers there. So you can enjoy some uh, time outside with an amazing view and, and listen to uh, music and, and drink your cocktails as well. So um, I did try a couple of things while I was there. I uh, tried the, um, I had a drink called the Know-It-All Cocktail. I thought that was kind of fun, Know-It-All Cocktail. But that was kind of a gin-based uh, cocktail, very, very kind of light. And I uh, also tried some of the different bites, the macarena um, bread uh, with butter there. And then I had the um, macarona almonds and crispy chickpeas. I ate way too many of these, by the way. I was supposed to have a friend join me, and I was by myself, and I kind of ate them all. So, like, not really the greatest, best thing in the world to eat them all. But guess what happens? You start eating. And I had the jarred smoked salmon. That was really interesting. Went with it well with the bread. So that was kind of a good because kind of a – entry to before I went for dinner and I went for dinner actually outside the hotel. I'll talk about that in a minute. So inside the hotel. So that's a great, the spot inside the hotel, you go, you know, upstairs, they're open after four o'clock uh, daily. So you can, you can have some drinks and a light supper or just go from drinks and just some snacks, that kind of thing before dinner as well. So then uh, the other spot in the uh, hotel, actually, well, let me, let me jump out of the hotel for a minute. So I'm going to tell you about where I went for dinner. Um, I went for dinner to a place downtown Seattle, also a fairly new restaurant. I had not been there before. It's uh, one of the Michael Mina restaurants. He owns restaurants all over the United States and beyond, and uh, he has several different concepts. But this one's a steakhouse. It's a French steakhouse, so a French restaurant steakhouse called Bourbon Steak Seattle. It's at 4th and Pike or Pine. I get the seats mixed up. Pine or Pike? I always get to mix up. But on 4th there... Uh, right across from, oh, it's actually the, right near Nordstrom, so you can't can't really miss it downtown Seattle. But another spot you need a reservation. You can walk in off the street, but I think you're gonna have a better table situation if you have a reservation there. So I had my friend, my friend Brian, join me uh, there. We tried a lot of different items. This is one of very, very, very yummy uh, dinner, uh, but a very, very rich one for sure. So uh, the outs, we had the uh, a whole bunch of different dishes. They start. They started off with like a, a duck fat fries. Um, so this is on the menu, more of like an appetizer. I'm not a huge fry person, but uh, we started that out with a spruce tip salt and barbecue sauce. Uh, the favorite dish right away off the bat was the burrata and asparagus. It was uh, with an egg mimosa, breadcrumbs, tartufo vinaigrette. It was delicious, just like the the asparagus was very good, and the burrata was very good as well. The phyllo wrapped scallops was really good. It came with smoked trout roe on top, melted leeks, which is just a really, really good dish. Uh, then we had the uh, Sunrise Farms Brick Chicken. Really, really tasty. The chicken, I don't know how they did this. It was also really good. And I'm sure it's one of these situations where they have a nice oven that's making things up here too. Uh, asparagus, more asparagus, um, carrots. Just It was just a very, very good uh, uh, dish. And then we had this... Um, truffled mac and cheese to go with it like on the side that was really good too and um then we had these glazed mushrooms this is like one of the best sides i've had in a long time with sesame it was just just delicious flavors and then another star is a 16 ounce boneless ribeye it's a creekstone um, ranch from kansas perfectly cooked it was just like the star of our dinner it was just really really good and so they they definitely know how to cook steaks there and meats they, they've done a really good job 
Uh, for dessert, we tried a couple different ones. We had the uh, 24 karat dark chocolate molten cake sundae. Oh my God, this was incredible. Another one of these winter kind of desserts. Um, first of all, when it came to the table, I did not know it was a sundae. To me, it looked like it was a tiramisu, but it's got this kind of like hard shell topping kind of, and it's a brown, they call it a brown sugar hard sugar shell and so then you just take your spoon and you crack it kind of like you would crack a creme brulee you just crack it and then you get to enjoy this ice cream and crunchy wafer pearls a cherry and whipped cream it was just like all done so well so good and then we had the best cheesecake with roasted strawberry uh, lemon curd and sesame fruits also very good but i mean the real winner here was this sunday for sure so this is a restaurant you want to check out when you are in seattle it's called uh Bourbon steak, Seattle, make an advanced reservation and go and enjoy it for a dinner. Uh, back at the hotel, uh, it was just, you know, a great sleep. It was very, very restful on that bed. Um, I didn't really want to get out of bed the next morning, but I had to get out of bed. So a uh, great, great spot. And then uh, another great spot there is they have this cafe in the lobby. So it's called it's called Cafe Ladro. It's actually uh, a chain. It's a local chain of different co coffee houses around the city. Uh, and this one is no exception. It's inside the hotel. One thing they are doing differently here is they are offering some breakfast options. So if you are someone who wants to enjoy some breakfast, you can order it from the cafe bar and they and they're seating there for you, and then you'll um, you'll be able to sit down and enjoy it. I did not do that. I just picked up one of their yogurts from the the refrigerator there, and um, I had a cortado because that's my favorite drink. So uh, so they are locally roaster uh, locally roasted coffee there. So that was really really good. And that's just in the lobby area there. There's also a takeaway section in the lobby right near the front desk, which you can buy some different items. You can buy some like knickknacky groceries and things you might need from your trip as well as some merchandise too. Uh, for lunch, I had uh, visited the restaurant in the hotel. It's called Odium Greens and Grill. Now they open for lunch and dinner. Now dinner, I guess, had opened up back in July when the hotel opened, but lunch only opened the week, a week prior to my uh, visiting. So as you can expect that uh, staff is an issue in Seattle, as much as staff is an issue in Vancouver, um, they are short in staff there. So um, it was a little bit of a tricky situation, but tasty lunch at that. And uh, they, I'm sure, will have more staff once they get going there. So uh, my friend Janice joined me for lunch there, and we just had the broccoli stracciatella salad, which was really my favorite. That was really, really good. Um, you know, salad, it just, it was just really interesting, really good. We also had the roasted carrots, which I love, the little gem salad with chicken, and the chicken avocado sandwich. Um, and then for dinner that night, I was out see outside the hotel again at a restaurant that's actually not new, but it's new to me. It's called Cook Weaver. This is phenomenal. I have to tell you, I am dreaming about this restaurant, and I cannot wait to return. It's actually been open for six years now. It's located in the Capitol Hill neighborhood, which is just very close to downtown. So it doesn't take – if you're there without a car, just take an Uber up there. It's a few minutes away. If you, you want to walk, you can walk. It will take you a little bit longer, but uh, – just, it's, um, you know, it's such a special place. So first of all, they're all about tasting menus. That's all they do is tasting menus. They have a vegetarian tasting menu and a non-vegetarian tasting menu. Now, what happened though, my friend Sam joined me and then he's vegetarian, but then there's some, some things that in the vegetarian world that he does not eat. And it had something to do with cheese. And I didn't totally understand the whole thing, but they did. And they got it right away. They're like, you know what? We will make you a vegan version of the menu. So this is apparently very common. There were several people ordering vegan that night. So that is something to know. Uh, they seem to do this quite well. 
So he had his vegan tasting menu and I had the non-vegetarian tasting menu. And it basically is a seven course um, menu. Now they offer a five course as well. You can get that if you wish, but seven course menu is $95 per person. You can get an alcohol, you can get drinks on there and, and that kind of thing as well. So there's lots of options there. They do a phenomenal job with this tasting menu. So first of all, the menu is not online because it's constantly changing. I think like either every day or every few days they're changing the menu. So you just kind of have to go with like, I'm going for an experience and I'm going to enjoy everything. And then that's how you're going to go and you're going to eat there. Because when you get there, they're going to give you a menu. But whatever you see online is not accurate. So don't, don't even look online. But they've done a great job. And the room is beautiful. The service is impeccable. You're in for a real, real treat there. So I'll tell you what we had on the my side of th things. Because I was really, of course, as I'm eating through my non-vegetarian menu, um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Sam about what he's having, but I want to focus on what I had. So on the table, first first course was a fried mussels corn salad with chips and cantaloupe nori dressing. Really, really interesting. Very tasty. Good entrance way into the meal. Second course, sautéed zucchini, smoked carrot condiment, and a, to a special kind of tofu, shallot, and peanut. Also really good. Then third course was this breakfast radish. It actually looked kind of like a soup. It wasn't really a soup, but breakfast radish, a Parmesan curry broth, green rice, a lime leaf oil. It's so interesting in how all these ingredients go well, go so well together, even though it's something that quite be maybe uncommon to you. Fourth course was squid egg noodles, a wild caught shrimp, crawfish sauce, parsley, very good. Uh, fifth course was a pan roasted king salmon really really good there strawberry sauce never thought you'd have salmon with strawberry sauce and compote but it works so well and pickled jalapeno uh, and then they gave me a surprise extra course this is actually not on the menu for everybody but uh, something that we got to try it was a uh, carrot taco and for both of us for uh, sam as well on an ethiopian injera now this is really also interesting they actually get it from a special market in seattle they buy this injera and that is something very, very interesting you do not find everywhere. So that we really enjoyed that. Um, on to the next course was a roasted chicken thigh with a blue cheese croquette. And then uh, for dessert, uh, the uh, frozen strawberry mousse, strawberry gel, shortbread cookie, lemon balm, and pine nuts. That was also really good. So you definitely want to check them out when you're in Seattle. They're on Roy Street um, in Capitol Hill, as I mentioned. It's called Cook Weaver. And uh, Chef Zach is one of the owners, and he's just done a phenomenal job. So, like, I had a chance to talk to him after. I talked to him for quite a long time in his kitchen after dinner, and uh, we'll be featuring him on an upcoming uh, episode. Um, and we'll be, uh, we'll be chatting. You'll, be, you'll get to hear from Zach about his re more about his restaurant coming up on an upcoming uh, episode. And then uh, the next day, I headed over to Ben Paris. It's a, uh, a not a, not actually not next necessarily new. I think it opened up a couple years ago now. I maybe. I was actually going to dine there before the pandemic, but I didn't get down to Seattle. So I think it's been open a few years. It's uh, right downtown, right near the Pike Place Market. It's called Ben Paris. Um, they're known for their brunches. They're they're open for dinner as well, but it's really known for um, a kind of like a new American hearty brunch. That's the one I want to say. Because like I didn't want to have really heavy food that day because I was about to drive back to Vancouver and driving on a heavy stomach is not a great experience. So I did not go the route where many go with the fried chicken because apparently the fried chicken is supposed to be really good there. And everyone told me that, but I was like, I can't do fried chicken today. Not before I head off on a drive. So I, uh, my uh, cousin Gilda joined me and we just uh, went a bit lighter, I guess is the way of putting it. So I had a Cortado to start. She had a latte. Uh, she had the uh, wild mushroom hash with fried eggs, potatoes, and herbs. I tried that dish and I was blown away. I should have ordered that. It was 
really, really good. Um, I ordered the cauliflower Caesar with chicken, which was fine, but I really, you know, I think I should have had the wild mushroom hash. Just thinking about that. And then uh, the ricotta pancakes with fresh berries and vanilla bean anglaise. We kind of made that our dessert for brunch. Um, it's definitely, you know, you could just order that just for yourself without having it. I mean, anything else, you could just have the fluffy ricotta pancakes. They were absolutely delicious. So we just did it, did it, did it for our own purpose for dessert. They also have desserts. We just didn't do that because I also, same kind of thing. I didn't want a really heavy meal before I hit the road. So uh, really, really good uh, trying that. And um, it just added for a great experience in Seattle because I really think that there's, there's lots of great places you can go. I think the Astro Hotel does a really good job. And um, it gives you a chance to try, you know, Go on a different kind of visit when you go to Seattle. Stay in South Lake Union. Walk around. It just It's really, really a pleasant experience. And then uh, and then try some of these restaurants. But I think you need advanced reservations in all these places because I don't think I'd walking off the street, especially Cook Weaver, it's, it's full. They're full every night. You just got to have an advanced reservation when you go there. But just, you know, get yourself ready for some, a fun experience. And um, ingredients you may not know and you don't know what's really on the menu, but that doesn't matter because it's part of the experience. And the journey that you're going to discover there. So uh, that is on Seattle. And um, wanted, uh, I had a great chat this week with um, Sebastian Cortez. He's the owner of Sebastian's Fine Meats in downtown Vancouver, as well as, as West Vancouver. He's been around for many years. Uh, his uh, downtown Vancouver um, store opened up a little over a year ago now. And he is the guy. He knows everything about meat and um, and meat and more. I want to say it. So... Uh, we talked about Thanksgiving. Canadian Thanksgiving is up and starts this next weekend. So um, you got to get your turkeys. You got to order your turkeys now. So we talked about the turkeys. We also talked about meat because there's um, it's been coming up a lot now. You like in restaurants and people have no idea really what was what is a wagyu steak and what is you know a five. What are all the different grades? Why am I having this kind of you know burger? Why am I having a strip loin or a porterhouse? You know, a lot of people just think, oh, that looks really cool. It sounds good. Let's just order it. But they have no idea you know, what part of the animal of the cow this is, the steak is from. So I asked him, I said, like, let's talk steak. And we have a, it's a very inform, informational, inform, lots of information here about the selecting the right kind of me, uh, meat, as well as dry aging, because that's another thing to know. So we had a, a great chat. So have a listen to my interview with Sebastian Cortez. Talking with Sebastian Cortez. He owns Sebastian's Fine Meats uh, in West Vancouver and downtown Vancouver. Thanksgiving is coming up and you've got turkeys. Can you tell me, tell our, our listeners all about turkeys and like what kind of turkeys they should be buying and, and the reasons for that? Yeah, so, well, yeah, Thanksgiving is almost upon us. It's crazy how fast time goes. But um, turkeys, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of options out there. There's some really expensive options. There's some really cheap options. Um, you know, I always recommend, um, you know, if you, if you can afford it and you have the budget to get a fresh turkey instead of a previously frozen one, um, it definitely makes a little bit of a difference, but you kind of know exactly what you're getting. Um, you know, a lot of turkeys sometimes might be frozen a little bit too late. Um, you know, when you get a fresh one, you guarantee that it's going to be, it should be, it should be as fresh as possible. Right. Um, you know, we like to work with a lot of, um, you know, free-range, um, hormone-free, antibiotic-free turkeys. Our main supplier is JV Farms, which I've been doing business with since pretty much we started uh, back in 2007. And, you know, once I find 
a specific farm or supplier that I like, we just visit it. Like it's just been, I've tried a couple of other ones, but I really, I really like this, uh, this turkey. So, so for people, of, let's uh, say for people that are, are cooking at home, they're having a dinner party, that kind of thing. I understand there's different things with pounds. Like you've got three different sizes. So how, like how many pounds feeds X number of people? How do you guys, how do you figure that out? You know what, you know, it's, I mean, I've been in this business for such a long time and it's quite um, relative to the family that are eating. You know, some, some families feed a lot less protein than others and some other ones just feed a lot of, like in my personal case, I just feed mainly turkey and a little bit of the side dish type of thing, right? But generally, we kind of recommend it's about a pound and a half um, per person, turkey wise, right? So if you have like, you know, six people, I would probably recommend like a 14 pound bird or something like that. But again, it all, I mean, I, and I mentioned this to some clients and they say, oh my God, that's definitely not going to be enough. And some people say, oh my God, that's way too much. So it's, like, so it's a little bit, you know, and that's kind of like the guidance that I always give. Um, but um, everyone is different. Everyone likes to, you know, some families don't like the white meat. Some families prefer the darkened meat. So you got to, there's a lot of components when it comes to, you know, choosing the right size of turkey, right? And um, in, in the past, you, you hear things like this, but you hear this mostly on TV or you hear it in a grocery store, Butterball. And I don't know if anybody has a clue what Butterball is. And is it just like when people are coming to your shop, they're just buying turkey or is there a specific yeah. kind? No, so Butterball, you know what? It's funny because I've never really had a Butterball turkey. I never really worked with them. Uh, but I believe they're sort of like free brine, a little bit uh, seasoned, salted kind of thing. So, you know, brine in a turkey, well, that's something we should talk about as well. Brine in a turkey makes the meat a little bit more tender. And even if you slightly overcook it a little bit, it's going to be juicy no matter what. Um, and generally, all the Butterballs are always, uh, you know, Butterball turkeys are kind of like big mass produced, right? Um, they're darker, I guess. I mean, I heard they're, they're quite delicious and, and juicy and all that, but uh, we don't sell them. You know, we just sell straight turkeys that they get, you know, slaughtered from the farm, shipped to us fresh, and that's all we have. You got to do all the seasoning. You got to do all of the other stuff, you know. Uh, we sell brining kits so people can do their own brining at home if they wanted to, which I kind of recommend as well if you want that perfect turkey. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of like the main difference between, you know, butterballs and a fresh, fresh turkey. Okay, and then lastly for Thanksgiving, when should people be ordering their turkeys from you? Should they be ordering right, right now? now? I mean, we got have we got ten days left, ten eleven days to Thanksgiving, so now it's the time. I mean, we're um we're selling pretty fast, and um you know the the, the complicated thing about it is prices, right? Like some years we sell a lot of larger first. Um, now with COVID, parties have been going down a little bit. They're picking up a bit more. But uh, I highly recommend, if you did, especially if you want a big, big turkey, definitely give us a call as soon as possible. Because those are the first ones to go, right? Hmm. Okay, that's good to know. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I should mention too, Richard, that we, you know, the, the downtown store, it, it's a lot different than what we're doing, right? We have, uh, you know, small apartments. Actually, they have a couple of uh, apartments where, like, you know, you can barely fit the chickens in the oven, right? So, you know, if you have a, a, a household for, say, two people or, or you know, a, a couple with a little child, we do um, roast. So we do this little bonus roast. And the cool thing about the roast is that you can get, you know, a white meat roast or a white and dark meat roast, which is what I recommend the most of. And we can do those custom sides to whatever you want. We can make you a pound of turkey roast. We can make you even a half a pound. We can some before turkey roast. 
So that's something uh, you know to think about. That some people say, "Oh, I can't do a turkey because I love to celebrate Thanksgiving, but I cannot, you know, cook or eat a whole turkey." Only two of us. So we have those options as well, which is really kind of neat as well. Okay, that's good to know. So let's talk about beef and steak and all the all that kind of stuff because I think in many restaurants you see it may not be a steakhouse, but you see a lot of restaurants and they have Wagyu burgers or Wagyu steak. And everybody seems to think that Wagyu is the best. And okay, sometimes it's very expensive. You have Tomahawk, very expensive, but people go, oh, I got to have that. But they don't really know what they're, why they're even ordering it. And it's just sometimes it could be influenced by a TikTok video or, or whatever, and they don't have a clue. So can you yeah. kind of break that down a little bit and like, yeah. What are the different cuts of meat and why are people, what should people be buying? So this is probably my favorite topic in life. Okay, so, um, you know, it's very interesting. So why you, my personal take on it, I, I think there's better steaks out there that are going to be like half the price of a Wagyu steak. There's different grades of Wagyu as well. You know, we carry the Japanese A5. A5 is like a pretty high-graded Wagyu where mainly you're having marble meat so that equals a lot more fat than protein per steak right the thing with wagyu steak and i find like if you ever want to try some i don't recommend having a whole steak well first of all it's going to cost you like you know 300 dollars or whatever especially for an a5 but it's very rich rich also. like it's, it's, i always tell people you know if you eat a wagyu steak on your own it's almost like you sat down and ate a box of chocolate on your own i get very very rich it's a lot of fat a lot of like you know flavor and um and so it's kind of better to do it the Japanese way where you have little slices that you can quickly grill, dip it in soy sauce and have it as a taste. So that's what I would do with, uh, with Wagyu. Now, there's a couple of other Wagyu steaks, like the American Wagyu. We got Snake Raider and a couple of other places that, uh, that do not necessarily A5. And they have a little bit less marble, meat, which I personally find a little bit more um, easier to, you know, to bite onto, right? Hmm. Um, then when it comes down to beef, the most common components that you're looking at is it's definitely barbeling. And also there's the other component where some people, especially ourselves, we do dry aging, right? And dry aging also enhances the flavor, the flavor of the beef. When it comes down to, you know, meatballs, for example, like why you meatballs or why you burgers, in my opinion, it is you know, some people like it because it sounds kind of cool. And I guess you're, you're, you know, you have it in your mind. Oh my God, I'm having that Wagyu beef burger. But once you put the ground, the meat into the grinder and it's all being shredded and ground up, it doesn't necessarily matter what, you know, what type of steak you're putting in there. Of course, it's going to have a little bit of a different flavor, but I find that if you definitely want to try a Wagyu steak, go for a little steak as opposed to a burger or, you know, or a meatball. We, we even have here Wagyu hot dogs and stuff, but I definitely recommend just try a little piece of a steak as opposed to having paying all that extra money for why you need that it's been ground. Okay, that's good to know. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. You see, there's all sorts of things on these menus and people, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, like, you have a clue what you're eating and they have no idea. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, for menus in restaurants, a lot of this stuff, it's kind of, I don't know. It's like an eye-catching thing to have on the menu, like why you beef burger. But you know, if you have it, and I talked to somebody, go, oh, yeah, I tried the why you beef burger from there. Yeah, it was, it was good. Like it was, you know, it was, it was really good. But then I, there's other restaurants that just make regular burgers that are gonna be probably even better than the why you ground that you're getting. And for the most of it, it's mainly like the high amount of fat that you get. But you can also achieve that by 
you know, having a, a perfect blend of like a custom ground for your burgers, which a lot of people do, you know, you, you, you got chuck, which has a good amount of fat, you got the brisket that has another good amount of fat as well, you can mix a little bit of that with serving, that will give you a perfect balanced uh, ground protein to fat ratio on your, on your burger, right? Uh, so porterhouse versus tomahawk. I mean, the differences between tomahawk is huge. Porterhouse seems to be coming up pop a lot lately in steakhouses, but is the meat the same? Is it different cut of the animal? It is uh, night and day. However, it's um, it's the same muscle. <laughs> it's, this is kind of complicated, but the tomahawk steak is a big thing. Now, what happens with the tomahawk? It's basically a rib roast. Um, cut in between each bone. Because you're cutting it in between each bone, you don't have um, the way of controlling how thin you want them. They have to be about two inches thick to two and a half inches thick per steak. And that's why they're so gigantic. Um, and then the long bone that you see is part of the prime rib bone. And the longer part, that bone keeps going all the way down to the rib. And then basically it's the short rib bone. When a butcher cuts a tomahawk steak, like if you break down a, a side of beef and you want to create tomahawk steak, you're not going to get short ribs out of it because the short rib bones are the ones that are attached to the, uh, the rib steak. Porterhouse, okay, so porterhouses come from the loin. So the tomahawk is the rib. And basically what the tomahawk is, it's a long bone in ribeye. That's what it is. And then when you go down towards the end of the rib, you, you transfer right into the loin. And on the loin, the first stage that you start cutting down would be the strip loin. And then towards the back of it, once that tenderloin gets bigger and bigger, you got the T-bone. And further down, when the tenderloin is even bigger and bigger, those are the porterhouses. So the porterhouses are the last, I would say, four, four to five stages cut from the back end of the loin, which they have uh, this gigantic, gigantic tenderloin. And the porterhouse is definitely what we call an eye. It has a bigger eye to the T-bone. So basically, it's a wider, more round, bigger steak. I mean, you can cut it whatever size you want. You can do an inch, you can do a quarter of an inch, you can do two inches. But basically, the porterhouse is a big, big, big kind of wide steak. That's, that's different. And now, here's a little tip. This is, I'm going to reveal a couple of secrets that I probably shouldn't. Yeah. But um, porterhouse versus Tivo, right? There's a big difference as well there. Now, I'm talking about when you go towards the end of the loin and you get this big, massive pieces of tenderloin, there's also, on the porterhouse steak, there's also a gristle that runs through the New York strip loin. So, yeah, you're getting a fantastic big tenderloin, but you're not getting a very good quality strip loin on the other side. So what I always recommend, I mean, my personal favorite, I always go for a T-bone as opposed to a porterhouse. Why? Because in my, my personal preference, I, I'm all about flavor. Uh, I'm all about texture. And, you know, I'm South America, right? So I grew up eating all types of meat thrown on the charcoal. We used to chew at the bones and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not that excited about having a steak that is super, super tender. I'd rather have the flavor, I'd rather have the texture than a tender steak. You know, I still got my teeth, I can chew on the bones, I can chew on the steak. And that's why I prefer the T-bones as opposed to the porterhouses, which is quite interesting. Okay, very interesting. Because I don't yeah. you know, it's, it's coming up a lot and you see lots of different restaurants will add certain kinds of steak. Maybe sometimes they want to make a show out of it because that's what people do. And 
And people the go, point, oh, yeah. you know, there seems to be an average price around the city now of a tomahawk at 175, 180, and a bunch of people share it. Uh, but you don't know. Sometimes people go like, oh, I see this price is really expensive. Maybe I shouldn't order that. I'll order something else. No, it's absolutely. I mean, like, you know, when it comes down to a tomahawk, it, here's the thing, Richard. It's all this is a show, right? It's all a show at your table, which is pretty cool. Like, people like it. You know, I do love that family style eating where, like, say you get a tomahawk and it's sliced up on a big wooden board. And then that's kind of how I grew up. That's the kind of food that I like. I like sharing, passing the stuff around. But I know some people order a tomahawk, they get it on a plate and for two people, kind of awkward to share that way, right? And this is kind of darn family style, right? But um, I think all of these steaks are more than anything just, just a show. When it comes to the tomahawk, if you order a ribeye steak, you know, if you just order a, a, a ribeye steak, it's the exact same meat that you're getting on a tomahawk. You just don't get the big show of the bone and you don't get this. And now because the butchers are sacrificing the short ribs, they got to charge a lot more for that steak because you're losing all that short rib that you can cut into something else, mm. you know, to be added to the tomahawk bone, right? Mm. Okay. And then, like I say, with the porterhouse, you know, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're great. It's a good steak, but I personally don't really like that gristle that you get on the New York strip. And we actually, at both locations, you know, I see a lot of butcher shops, we call them the end cut strip loin. Mm. So you're cutting your strip loin starting from the rib all the way to the back towards where the loin is. And like I said, there's a, about four, four or five inches of strip loin that is gonna have a really kind of, you know, big gristle running through. That's the one that we got for porterhouses. And here at the show, when we do strip loins, we don't even sell those things. You see my grocery store, people say, oh, I bought a strip loin somewhere and it was like super cheap. That's why, because you're getting end cut strip loins. We take those apart, remove the gristle and we make brochettes or little, you know, stir fry and things like that, right? I don't like selling stuff with big chunks of grizzle that people are going to be happy with. So, you know, my advice, if uh, if anybody goes to a restaurant and they want to have a tomahawk steak, but it's, it's too expensive, just order a ribeye. It's the exact same thing. Or if you want to have, um, you know, a porterhouse, if they have T-bones on the menu, go for the T-bone. It's going to be a better quality steak. It's not going to look as big and impressive, but, you know, you'll be happier. Okay. That's great. This is a great knowledge. I think a lot of people, I'm sure this will help a lot of people who have no, no idea. What mm -hmm. they're yeah, absolutely. And you know, a couple of other things too, like, you know, we are known for our steaks. Like we have some of the best steaks in the city. And one of the main things, well, I was the first one in Vancouver back in 2007 to start dry aging all the beef, right? And, and that is another, I mean, huge component to the, the steak eating experience. When you know, when you dry each beef, and I get a lot of questions, why do you say, what does it do? So basically, once the animal gets, you know, um, killed or slaughtered, every day that goes by, the enzymes in the protein, they start breaking down, making the steak a little bit more tender. This process only takes about three weeks, right? So once your beef, and that's why you see a menu's age, you know, 21 days, 21, that's three weeks. After this three weeks uh, progress, after three weeks time, the meat doesn't get necessarily any more tender. After that, you start playing with flavor, right? So you get a more concentrated steak flavor if you keep aging past the 21 days. So we usually do 45, which is, in my opinion, between 30 and 45 is the best. Like that is it. For me, it's the sweet spot of aging. Um, so basically what happens is you, besides tenderizing the meat a lot, your steak is going to be so juicy, tender, um, you also are removing moisture out of the steak. This doesn't mean the juiciness. It's mainly water. 
just water that is coming out of the meat. And if you think about, you know, a beef stock in a demi-glass, the demi-glass has been reduced a lot more, water has been evaporated and you get a way more concentrated flavor. It's the exact same thing with beef. So, you know, dry aged beef, um, it's definitely, in my opinion, the, the way to go, right? Like if I see, a, you know, just a tomahawk steak and then I see a dry aged ribeye steak, I'm 100% going for that dry aged ribeye steak. Mm. Okay, that's I didn't know that either. That's also interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's very, uh, it's, it's very cool. And like, you know, I mean, I, I always recommend a lot of people that don't haven't had it because there's also a lot of restaurants that are doing aged beef, you know, aged minimum 21 days, not necessarily dry aged. So what just, we call it in the industry, we call it wet aged. The meat is vacuum still in a bag and it's sitting there for 21 days, sitting in its own blood. Of course, it's getting a little bit more tender, but you're going to get this like, bloody irony flavor to the meat that you do not get when you're dry aging it so dry aging it you're losing a lot of moisture it's not in a bag it's just sitting in a cooler you know kind of like a wine cellar and um, and you know the flavors are definitely a lot a lot better when you do dry ages as opposed to wet age thank you for listening to this week's show tune into the next episode next week to hear more interviews with chef and cookbook authors as well as other features Please tell your friends about this podcast and have them subscribe to the Van Foodster Podcast and Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and Amazon Music to hear my weekly show covering the food scene in and outside of Vancouver.